You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. I'm an advocate for women's rights in childbirth, founder of Birth Monopoly, co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, a national photography project on birth trauma, and former vice president of Improving Birth, the nation's largest consumer-based maternity care advocacy organization. You can learn more about my work at birthmonopoly.com. Today, we're speaking with Tracy Weefer. She is a doula in Montgomery, Alabama. She's certified as a doula through Childbirth International, and she is also an evidence-based birth instructor. Hi, Tracy. Hey, Kristen. Thanks for coming on the show today. I know this is, this is going to be a little different from what we talked about. Um, originally, we were going to have you and another doula from Alabama on um, to talk about making change in hospitals because the two of you, I think, have had um, have kind of a unique record of success in Alabama. Um, but unfortunately, our the other doula was not able to be here because she had, of course, a birth. So you get to carry it all on your own. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the topic today, the broad topic is advocating for clients without getting kicked out of the room as a doula. And before we get into that, I think we need to give people a little bit of background on why this is even a topic. I don't think people have any idea that getting kicked out as a doula from the hospital, from the, from the, you know, from your client's birth is even a possibility. And I know that you personally have never experienced that. Um, but can you just speak for, you know, kind of on behalf of doulas as to why some people actually worry about that? Sure. Sure. Um, I, you know, I guess the word advocacy can be confused a little bit um, as far as, you know, nationwide and what moms want and what we deal with is very different. But um, looking on, looking in from the outside, um, you don't realize the, you know, paths that we have to cross, the things that we have to do, um, the you know, bridge work that needs to be built um, to form teams and um, communications with the inside staff to help things go well. Um, so if, you know, if, if there's not um, good um, groundwork, I guess to say, for even what a doula is in the hospital, it could be really difficult. Specifically, um, something I've seen is when I've talked to nurses about doulas, some nurses really have a negative view of doulas and they might see them as sort of trying to take their job in a way, stepping on their toes. Like, well, you know, I'm the nurse. I'm supposed to be the one supporting and encouraging the mom. And, you know, and that's true. You know, nurses are are supposed to be patient advocates and they are supposed to give that like the comfort and all those things. But um, the reality is nurses have more than one patient and they have a lot of charting to do. And I know they spend a large amount of their time recording things and, you know, having to be on a computer, which a lot of nurses complain about, like they don't like it. You know, it's not a, it's not an ideal situation, but 
right. as part of their job. Um, That's like a very, very good point. We have to, we have to remember um, that a lot of nurses go into labor and delivery thinking that that's what they're going to be able to do, um, that they're going to be able to stay with their patients and, um, and support them. And, you know, if they have staffing, then yes, they can, you know, they can do that. In my early days of working as a doula, I, I was asked several times by nurses and, you know, how do you get to do this? You know, where did you get your training or where did you go to college? Because they had no idea what a doula was, you know. How long ago was that, if you don't mind my asking? You know, that was about 15 years ago when I was asked those questions. Um, you know, so, and, and, you know, doulas have been around since, you know, since a long time before that, but, but integrating the word and what the doula profession was has taken some time. So, and also in trying to understand the labor and delivery nurse role um, for my side, because I don't know their job, I'm hearing also from, um, you know, some, some brand new nurses that nursing school is, you know, kind of teaching doulas in a negative light also. So, and I'm not saying that locally, I'm saying that everywhere, you know, that's, that's a national topic also. So, um, if a, if a labor and delivery nurse does not understand the role of a doula, then absolutely she's going to assume. So what are some ways that that could actually play out in real life for um, the client? Like how would that impact a birth or impact a client? Can you give an example? Absolutely. If, if a labor and delivery nurse doesn't understand the relationship that a, a doula has with her client, um, the conversations that we have with our clients, the education that we give to our clients about her choices, um, then that translates sometimes to um, a nurse thinking that what we're saying is our opinion and not what the client has already decided or we are um, like like you're telling the client what she should do as right. opposed to you supporting the decision that the client made right right um you know and just some and just some confusion you know of what the roles are you know if if we're not taking time to um you know let these nurses kind of trance you know, transform into knowing what, what our jobs are, then, um, you know, there, there, there just can be really a lot of confusion. Um, so, and like I said, my early days were, were kind of hard with that, but with open communication and with letting them know what our job is and that we're not there to take over their job because we don't, we're not nurses, we're, we're doulas. You know, and I know that there are labor and delivery nurses out there that have the dual role. So for them, it might be a little bit harder to, to switch off and on. Um, but we are support people and we're educators and we are um, that extra person that consistently is beside that client um, throughout her entire labor. So, so she can just labor. So we can be the liaison between her and the nurse or the staff if we need to be. We're not making decisions for her. We're not, and I'm going to say trying because this has taken me a lot of time, but we, we do go in with a lot of our own biases. 
So we do have to be very careful not to put something in there that we think needs to happen. You know, so, you know, just a lot of open communication. Hey, I'm not, I'm not here to, to do your job. Um, I respect you totally. And we have to understand the, um, the workload of a nurse at that particular hospital or, or community or wherever you are. Um, because she probably has a bunch of things that's going on. Um, she's probably seen some pretty horrible things. You know, being an evidence-based birth instructor, you know, I'm, I'm learning so much more about, you know, PTSD and, and labor and delivery nurses and, and what they see and the trauma that they go through. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a really great point, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, when that you're, kinda... you're dealing with... Um, people who have a high rate of PTSD from their jobs and that in, in many or even most of the time, they're not getting a lot of support for that. Right. And so, you know, just the other day I saw um, a nurse wrote somewhere and she said, well, the truth is what they mean by I'm so good at dealing with it is I'm the one who's best able to keep it together until I leave and get into my car before I start sobbing. Right. You know, I mean, that's a really, that right. is a very heavy and difficult position to be in. Um, and especially when, y- you know, that's seen as a good, like the person who's able to hold it together emotionally. Um, and that's it. Like, that's the only skill that's necessary, as right. opposed to like a healthy processing of what you have seen and what you've witnessed or what you've even, you know, what you've had to do. And, essentially trauma processing, which isn't necessarily happening. And so, yeah, that definitely impacts how people do their jobs. So I want to go back really quickly to something you said about sometimes it can be, sometimes nurses see doulas as making decisions for the client. Um, This is a, like a tricky point here because the, the model in the hospital is, a hierarchy of authority. And the patient is quite often in reality at the bottom of that hierarchy with care providers who expect to be the decision makers and expect the patient to follow directions. And that, you know, that can be in a very benevolent way or it can be in a more kind of, you know, forceful way. But doulas operate in a completely different model where they are so, so careful about not making decisions for the client, about, you know, trying not to influence their decisions and making sure that they are absolutely the ultimate decision maker in the room. Um, I think sometimes it's hard for people trained in the medical model to even understand that that's a thing, that there could be a person in the room who's communicating closely with the person giving birth and is not directing, instructing, influencing, you know, trying to uh, take charge of their birth. Right. So that's kind of, you know, you're talking about two different mindsets. And, it, you know, doulas are obviously aware that there are two different mindsets, but I think a lot of, um, a lot of people trained in the medical model just aren't even, like, they can't even comprehend that, you know, especially when you're a place, I hate to say it, but like Alabama, which is, you know, pretty far behind a lot of the rest of the country, not just in maternity care, but 
how they view women in general. So right. the culture is already, you know, has that paternalistic bent right, <laughs> to right. it. So it's, you know, so it can be hard for, for them to understand that doulas are really respecting the mom as the decision maker. And I think that can even be a point that can be a point of contention because if the doula sees the mom as the decision maker and nobody else in the room does, that could be a conflict right there. Right. Right. Absolutely. I don't know if there was a question there. <laughs> no, I was just talking and then I couldn't think of anything else to say. <laughs> you know what? Um, we'll just go to a break and we'll be back to talk more about doulas advocating for clients. This is Birth Aloud with my mom, Kristen Lusgucci. My mom works at Birthman Opley. <laughs> We're speaking with Tracy Weaver, who is a doula in Alabama, and we were just talking about how some nurses and folks who have been trained in, um, in a medical model view doulas and the idea of who's the decision maker in the room and how sometimes that can cause a little bit of conflict when everyone doesn't view the person giving birth as the decision maker which the doula certainly does or should. <laughs> um, you know, the word advocacy is kind of a, a buzzword in the doula world. And I think a lot of people on the outside who don't know a lot about doula politics and profession would be really surprised to hear that. Can you talk a little bit about that, Tracy, about just in a general, you know, kind of national sense about why the word advocacy is such a, almost like a dirty word sometimes when it comes to doula, the doula practice? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, the confusion comes from um, really as a whole nationwide, women are searching out doulas for that that extra care and for the extra information and you know sometimes for the um i don't know what's going to happen feeling of fear of of having um this birth so they want that that constant care um beside them and you know the the confusion or or how we go about doing that um you know what's the expectation of of the client and what actually can we do um, is the hard part is the hard part um, you know so we have to be you know we just have to be really careful with you know giving all the information to our clients that we can about what really our job is so so they know so they know like what advocacy really means so what's an example of something where there might be some confusion about what a doula does or doesn't do um, I've heard some, some moms even describe it. Well, when I was going to hire a doula, I thought she would, um, I thought she would just be my spokesperson for everything that I wanted, you know, to do in the birth. And that's not necessarily true. Um, mom needs to speak up when mom can speak up. We're just the guide sometimes to, um, the language of what needs to happen. You know, a really, really good example that just popped into my head was um, a mom that 
didn't want um, an IV. Um, and the nurse was not explaining to her that, you know, what that meant. Did she have to have the whole IV pull? You know, did she have to have the saline running through her body? Or was this just the port? Was just was this just the hip lock? And I remembered the conversations before with this mom and in remembering that, you know, she, she wasn't completely against an IV. She just didn't want to be tied down to anything because she was laboring naturally wanting to move freely. So, you know, after everything, it hit me that she might not understand what's going on. So you know, conversation, education, the nurse comes back in. She said, oh, yes, of course, you know, I, I don't mind having an IV if I'm not going to be, you know, tied down to a pole. So, you know, as far as advocacy goes, um, you know, it, it's, we're supporting, we're, we're, we are the, the, we are the cheerleader. We are the person that is trying to get all the information necessary well, it sounds it sounds to me like you were sort of a communication bridge in that situation, right? Where right. they and weren't really in any kind of conflict. It was just a misunderstanding no. right. about what the nurse was wanting to do, right? And and most of the time, that's that's it. It's just misunderstandings that nobody can get to the bottom to, and maybe they escalate. Now, I haven't had that happen, but I've definitely talked to doulas that have. You know, I think the hard part is knowing how to, you know, defuse something before, you know, before somebody gets angry or, you know, or, or whatever. So taking all the opportunity for just open communication is, is a huge Well, again, thing. I think, you know, I'm thinking about somebody who doesn't know anything about doulas listening to that and going, what do you mean? Why would anyone ever get angry? Like, how is that even a possibility? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, the hospital has their role and they think that, you know, it's supposed to go one way. And then you have somebody that's coming in that wants something different that they don't, that sometimes they don't understand. Um, you know, so it can cause, it can cause conflict. And, you know, instead of, instead of stopping and saying, okay, why doesn't she want the IV? Because that could have been, you know, she could have stopped and said, you know, well, okay, well, why, you know, did you discuss this with your doctor? Why, what's in your head to make you not want this? She could have just gotten angry, went and gotten the, you know, the form for her to sign for her not to have the IV. And it didn't get there. It didn't get there. Um, and I don't think that this nurse would have gotten angry with her. It, but I'm hearing nationwide that it's, it's difficult to have conversations when, when people don't want to have open communication. Um, and I've certainly heard out of Alabama specifically some really crazy stories about doctors getting very upset when a patient questioned something or a doula provided information about an alternative to what right. the doctor was suggesting, um, right. you know, yanking off their gloves and throwing them on the floor and stomping out of the room and, you know, slamming the door and, you know, um, taking out on the mom sometimes, you yeah, know, I've I mean, heard about I've women getting cut or torn in their 
you know, in their vaginal area because the doctor was mad that, you know, a mom was asserting herself or the doula was supporting the mom and advocating for herself. So, right. Um, and, and those are tough. Those are tough situations to, to be in for, for everyone. Um, you know, and I'm not going to assume, you know, why people get angry, you know, about, about things. I really go back to what my responsibility is as a doula. And say a mom came to me and said, this, was what, this is what my experience was with my last birth. Um, my doctor got mad because I didn't let him check me or, or whatever, whatever that was. You mean to check right. dilation. Right. Which is um, largely an unnecessary procedure. Procedure. Right, right. But something like that um, triggers my doula mind to make sure that I'm doing everything possible to give, give that client information that she needs um, to make the next go round um, as different as possible and, and review all the variables to see how that did not have to happen the next time. And, and what is very important to me is figuring out how to get everyone on the same page and build a team, you know, because obviously there was a communication breakdown somewhere, you know, with something like that. Um, I, and I wouldn't know what it was. Now, if I had been in the room and something like that, you know, I would have gone out of my way to, after the birth, away from my client, try to, you know, talk to the care provider at the nurse's station or email or something, you know, to, to ask, you know, what his expectations were. You know, that, that sounds so normal to me, but quite frankly, I think for a lot of doulas, that is not normal practice. No, it and doesn't happen. I think, you know, there's, I hear a lot of disempowerment of doulas mm -hmm. as far as communicating, like, in a way that is self-respecting as well as respectful. Right. Um, you know, you'll even hear people say, well, I was told never to talk to a provider. You know, like right. you literally don't communicate directly with the staff, which I think right. we have kind of figured out is sort of a misunderstanding <laughs> of, um, of that principle. But nonetheless, there are people out there who have been told that. I mean, I've, I've spoken with a couple of them who were like, no, 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 my trainer actually told me do not speak to the medical providers, which I think is something that, you know, we need to really clarify. It's how are you supposed to be a respected team member if you can't talk to people? Right. You know? Right. And it just kind of hit me one day that if I'm going to give my client all the information, um, I needed to have all the information. And I, I, I'm not magic. I can't, I can't know what a provider thinks or feels or their comfort level or their experience or anything, you know, if I don't talk to them. So <clears throat> I wasn't trained I, to, you know, interview care providers with clients. It just hit me one day that that's, that's what is, is going to bring the team together. Um, what do you mean by that? Interviewing even, care providers with clients. I actually got to where I was requiring um, 
an, an appointment with my client whatever appointment that was comfortable for them I called it an uneventful appointment so if, if nothing <clears throat> one of the ones that nothing was going on you just peed in a cup and had your blood pressure drawn and and listen to baby would probably be the best but when I started doing this I, I would go with mom you know with her permission to an appointment and I would sit down um, and we would kind of have a roundtable discussion you know we we would have already pretty much had her birth plan um, sort of written a cut you know maybe first draft um, her wishes down on paper you know so to speak um, things that were very important to her and I would you know ask the provider you know well she would she would introduce me or I would introduce myself and say you know what are your expectations of this birth you know are you comfortable with natural birth um, to watch the body language you know see how comfortable they were with me even being in the room and not being a family member which was foreign to a lot of them um, but you know always open and always gracious about you know me being there and you know even thanking me saying you know thank you for opening up this communication and and it's about team building so I got to listen to comfort levels and experience and okay I'm not comfortable with that and so mom hearing that they were not comfortable with VBAC or they weren't comfortable with her pushing or delivering in a non-traditional position like not on her back right not on her back feet and stirrups you know gave us other things to talk about and how comfortable mom was with that so everybody was pretty upfront about the information that they were being given did you find that in that so in that situation where a mom is hearing her doctor say actually i'm not comfortable with that thing that's really important to you does that generally lead to the mom finding a new doctor or to the doctor changing their mind somehow and that's the simple short answer but it just all depends um, it all depends on how strongly doctor feels about his comfort level with what she wants. Um, and well, how and I guess I should have said the third option is that the mom goes along with the doctor also. Right, right. You know, so, and, 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 you know, and there's no real wrong answer to any one of them if mom's making it. So, you know, I would just really really make sure that mom was comfortable with whatever decision she was making you know is 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 that a deal breaker for you is that a red flag for you but most of the time you know the majority of the time everybody really comes to a good understanding and compromise of you know of whatever's going to happen it never you know accelerates to uh, neither one of us are going to compromise and we're all out of here it just really opens up some really good respect and communication. I think that's amazing coming out of Alabama, you know, um, I've heard countless stories out of Alabama and lots of hostilities and violence that goes on. Um, so that's a really, it's a very different and special thing to hear that you're able to be attending these births with a, with a level of communication and respect that, just is non-existent in so many places. I mean, not to say that it's, you know, doesn't happen at all. Um, but I think as far as an overall, an average or a level, um, 
compared to a lot of other places. You know, Alabama's, Alabama's not awesome for respecting women's choices or practicing evidence-based care, you know, just like right. the example you used about the moms being um, on their back with their feet in stirrups. You know, I know there's a lot of places where that is just like a non-negotiable or, or a lot of care providers who won't allow anything else and they don't care or are not interested in the evidence that says that's more dangerous for moms right. and for babies. Right. And I'm not saying that this hasn't been a hard um, trial to blaze <laughs> um, because, you know, back when I really, when I first started um, doing doula work 15, 16, 17 years ago in the hospital, I mean, before that I did home births and postpartum work, but in the hospital, there were some really, really standard routine situations um, that I, I had to navigate through, you know, it, it sounds like I have it all together, but I haven't always had it all together and nobody has. So we have to, you know, we have to start somewhere. So, you know, in, in coming in and, and building the teams, even the doctors that have always had a standard practice of, of something, you know, are, are willing to come to the table and talk about why that's a standard practice for them you know, because somebody's caring about their side of comfort. Um, and it's not about, it's not about power when you focus on really caring about where that care provider or nurse is coming from. Um, you know, we're, we're all on the same team and, you know, I can't, I, I don't look at myself as being, the last person on the totem pole above mom, you know, and I see us all on the same team and we all bring something very different to the table. The nurses and care providers don't know my job. I don't know their job. They don't know each other's job. So we're all very, very important. And once you kind of break that mindset that they don't even know that they're in sometimes it's an, it's an amazing relationship. And and, and birth outcomes are, are fantastic. You know, even with, you know, high section rates for one care provider, you can have just a fantastic natural birth because of the relationship part and open communication. Yeah. You know, I've heard from, or I speak to a lot of doulas who they definitely have that mindset that they are inferior, like a, like an inferiority complex um, and, you know, and many of them are aware of it, you know, they, they don't, they don't intentionally act that way or feel that way, but it's just there. And of course it's, it's really reinforced by, you know, when they go into a birth and everyone does see them as inferior. And that is a really difficult thing to break out of. Um, really difficult. I mean, I can say personally, obviously I'm not a doula. But um, in situations where I have seen myself as inferior, um, you, you act differently. And it, even when you're trying not to, you can't help it. You know, it comes across. It's kind of a post-traumatic stress thing. Like if you are expecting to have to fight, <laughs> you know, if you're having, expecting to have to fight for your mom. Right. You're like in fight or flight already. Absolutely. So you're already thinking that I'm the inferior one, um, that I'm, I'm the one that's not looked at 
on this team at all. And I felt, I have felt that way. Um, I've, I've felt that way, you know, probably the first five years that I was doing doula work. Um, but then I focused on, I didn't really focus on the hospital much um, there for a while. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm 110% focused on my moms. And if you ask any of my current clients, past clients, they know that I absolutely work a hundred percent for them. And, you know, once I got kind of refocused on who I was supporting, I was being invited to the sacred space with these women that I was truly thankful for. Um, kind of my mind shifted to, I'm a very important person in this woman's life. So, that means that I'm an important person on her team as I go into this unknown place with her. So that even motivated me more to figure out how the, how the inside system worked. Can you talk about that a little bit more, just about how your mind, how your attitude changed over, over time and how maybe that influenced your behaviors? Um, yeah, I mean, I just saw you know, a lot of fear and a lot of inconsistency when, you know, we talk about education and, you know, I would hear women say, you know, I'm moving to Alabama and uh, I have to give birth there, you know, and it just breaks my heart to hear that. I mean, this is my home, you know. Well, no offense, Tracy, but I'd say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I get it. I do. I totally do. But instead of looking at the big picture of, how do I change a culture of the perception of birth from the, from the um, inside out? You know, that's kind of ridiculous to even think that I could do. So I focused on the needs of my community as far as listening to moms and what they needed from the system. And it's, and, and I just, you know, kind of woke up to the fact that they need, they need someone. They need someone to be truthful. They need someone to educate them. Where else are they going to get this if they're not getting it from the system? Um, because I, I was having calls from moms that are like, okay, I took a birth class. This is what they're telling me. You're telling me something else. And I'm like, you know, well, in the end, you're going to have to figure out who you believe. You know, Can you give an example of something? Um, sure. Let's see. Say a birth class talks about continuous fetal monitoring, you know, that every mom has to be continuously fetal monitored. I'm not saying that that's, I'm just pulling that out of the air. And, and I know by ACOG's guidelines, that's not true. So I'm going to provide her more information as far as evidence-based information and national information that she can take to her care provider um, to discuss this is very confusing to a consumer. And I see so much of that. I see so much of um, inconsistency and in information. Um, so, so in realizing that, you know, I have, I have this, you know, this job that I need to do, of course I'm going to give them all the information necessary to make better decisions um, so that they don't have to be so confused. So then 
I started focusing on what I could change for the, for the system when I could do that. I didn't just jump into that. There has to be opportunity. That's such a, that's such a tricky position to be in. I can relate to that on a, on a certain level as well, where you are, you and I are not medical professionals. We're not doctors. We're not nurses um, who were actually trained in how to administer these procedures. And yet we are giving people information that is more current and science-based than what they might be getting from the people they've hired as their medical providers. And it is, you know, it's a really funny position to be in. And and I can imagine how confusing that is for, for a, a person giving birth to say, are you, what do you mean? My, my doctor's wrong, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> I, you know, that's just such a, it, it's like unfathomable, you know, it's just, it's really, it's very confusing. Um, right. And I, I remember that during my own pregnancy at some point realizing, oh my goodness, I really am fully responsible for these decisions. I can't just do what I'm told and expect that I'm going to get the best care possible. That is just not how it works in our system. And that is like a very big responsibility, especially if you don't know anything about pregnancy and birth until you get pregnant. And then all of a sudden, here you are, you know, responsible for your own health and the life of your baby. That's, um, that's a really big deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. we actually need to go to a really quick break, Tracy, and then we'll be back with the final segment of our show today. This is Kristen Piscucci with Birth Aloud, and we are speaking with Tracy Weaver, a doula from Montgomery, Alabama, about advocating for clients. Tracy, I think I, I mentioned to you um, yesterday, I was hanging out with my neighbor. Um, she is a, a young woman who has never had babies, and she's actually in school to become a dentist. So sometimes we like to talk about, you know, there's, there are some parallels there. Um, as far as um, patient satisfaction and, you know, like how you approach, how you approach your um, care and consent and that kind of thing. She mentioned that she had seen on my Facebook page some of the posts that I was making about Caroline Malatesta, who was last, our last show, and she talked about her birth in 2012 that resulted in a physical assault and her having a, a permanent nerve injury, and then finally suing the hospital and winning, getting a $16 million verdict um, from the jury. And my neighbor said, you know, started kind of asking me about, I don't really understand what doulas do, et cetera, et cetera. And um, she said, well, I don't understand. Why wouldn't a doula just give, why wouldn't you give all the information to your client? I where else would she get that information? Well, of course I would expect the person I hired to tell me everything they know about the hospital that um, if they've had experience with that hospital, like in Caroline's case, I know that sometimes women at that hospital are flipped on their backs. They aren't supported in any other position than on their back and in stirrups. And my neighbor was like, well, well, of course you would tell your client that. I mean, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? I, I, I don't understand. I, I can't understand that. Um, and I was trying to explain it to her. And it was really hard to explain. It's, it is really hard to explain um, 
there, you know, you have to understand so much about the power dynamics. And sadly, you have to be willing to admit that there are people there who are absolutely willing to override the mom's wishes and violate her legal rights. And what a thorny thing to introduce to a client who obviously you don't want to scare them or make, you know, freak them out or um, make them defensive or hostile with their care provider. But at the, you know, our conversation at one point went to episiotomies and I said, I said, well, you know, you, you, you got to understand like, this is how it happens. And you can't, no doula is going to step in front of a pair of scissors if a doctor is coming at a woman who has said, I don't want an episiotomy and hasn't informed her or asked her that he's going to cut her. And it's obvious to everyone that he's about to cut an episiotomy without asking. And, and she just like could not get it. She was like, why wouldn't you step in front of the scissors? <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I explained it as best I could. But she made a really great point that is actually something that I've been thinking about lately, which is that when we talk about a situation like a doula stepping in front of a pair of scissors, she said, I said, well, you know, doulas aren't supposed to make medical decisions. And she said, which was like almost as it was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking the same thing. She said, but that's not a medical decision. She's just making sure that that client doesn't get cut against her will. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. That isn't, that isn't a doula making a medical decision. That is a doula supporting the mom in her right to make a medical decision, which are two different things. Right. Um, but anyway, that was a long introduction to, I know that you have this episiotomy story that I think is really interesting and has actually made me think a little bit differently about the whole this whole situation. So tell me about the time you essentially stopped a doctor from doing a non-consented episiotomy. Absolutely. Um, I had a client that was a VBAC. So a VBAC is a vaginal birth after cesarean. A lot of doctors and hospitals refuse to let women have a vaginal birth after they've had a cesarean, even though national guidelines say that VBAC is safe for the majority of women. But in my experience, and I would imagine in yours, if you are a woman who has had a previous cesarean and you want to have a vaginal birth, you're kind of like put in this class of your own. The vaginal birth is like this privilege that we may or may not allow you. It can be very, very difficult for, for a birthing person to navigate that. Sorry, just to give a little bit of background on what that mom is walking into. Right. Right. Thank you for that, Kristen. I forget that I need to <laughs> give definitions. Um, yeah, so, so well-educated, um, well-informed. So we had already hashed out um, what her desires were as far as the, the typical things that moms want. Flavoring. Which are what? Just for people who don't know, okay, very briefly. So, you know, in my experience, normally moms that are trying to go for a um, natural low intervention birth, um, want to kind of be left alone. Um, intermittent monitoring, either having an IV or not having an IV. So yes, she had said she did not want an episiotomy. 
And what that meant to her was she wanted, you know, controlled pushing. Um, she did not want to really be coached. She wanted to feel everything on her own. So fast forward, um, because this could be a really long story, we, she, she's complete. She starts pushing. The nurse in the room, who I have worked with before, um, we are getting her in different positions to see what pushing was profitable. Her doctor was not on call. Her, the on-call doctor came in, very respectful and nice, looked them both in the face, introduced who he was, said hi to me because I had done a couple of births with him. But he is not somebody that I usually do births with. Natural birthing moms would not necessarily gravitate to him. So he leaves the room, and he's just right outside the door. And he told us, he said, I'm right outside the door. I'm watching the monitor. I'm here if you need me, um, he says. So I'm working with this nurse, had the squat bar out. We're, we're trying to figure out what was working for her. So Doc comes in knowing that she's pretty close to delivery and um, he comes over. So, and she was just pushing on her own um, with her hands up underneath her thighs and doing really, really well. Um, we're just all encouraging her to do what she needs to do. Everybody's just really quiet and, and respectful. Um, and I, I see him do his episiotomy routine. And, and if y'all don't know what that is, Usually what happens is they will pick up, especially a mom that does not have an epidural, they will administer lanocaine um, first for, for numbing. So that's what I saw him pick up first. I said, Doc, she doesn't want to be cut. And um, he said, but she's going to, what if she tears up her urethra? And our voices were calm. There was no yelling. There was no nothing. And I, and, and it's fast. And I'm explaining to this low, but this is slow, but this is a fast paced thing that happened. So after his explanation of why he was getting ready to do it, that's when I put my hand on his arm just out of instinct and said, but she has already said no. She does not want to be cut. It's on her birth plan. And he said, oh, okay. And he put it down. He said, well, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And she gave birth. And it was, it was all over. It was that quick. Um, but it, it wasn't this hostile, you know, don't touch my client, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of thing. You know, and I think it was, it was because of, you know, the, the trying to pull the team together and everybody knowing their own place and, 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 and all of that that I have tried to do before, um, even with him being an on-call doctor um, and, and have done births with him before, you know, it, it wasn't a shocking, you know, thing that, that I touched him. I think for... Again, for the average person listening at home, they would think, well, yeah, of course that's what you did and said. That sounds completely normal to me. And I would imagine there are a lot of doulas thinking, I can't believe she said that. And or I can't believe she put her hand on his arm. And did I get lucky? <laughs> Maybe, you know. But I didn't even think about it. It was, it was not, I wasn't arguing with him why she didn't want an episiotomy. It was the fact that she had already said no. 
you know, and people can question and say, you know, well, did he um, read her birth plan? I, I would think that he would have, but I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, she had already said no. Um, and he didn't now, ask her either. Right. I mean, he could have even gone further and give his opinion, you know, give his advice and ask if she wanted it. Um, but he didn't do that. He just, he said, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll put this down and we'll see what happens. What that triggered in my mind was, wow, he is listening to her support person that has been her constant. And that's what, that's what needed to happen. It strikes me about that situation that her, her voice didn't come into it other than you repeating what she had said previously on her birth plan. Right. And months later, I was in another birth with him, almost the same exact um, situation. And he, you know, he came in, mom had had an epidural, of course, her feet up are up in, um, in stirrups, we're holding them, but, but they're up because she had had an epidural. You know, he, he stopped. He, he's like, okay, she's been pushing for, you know, however long it was. I think she had been pushing a little over an hour and a half. And he, you know, he said, okay, well, if you need help, meaning if, you know, if you need me to cut a little bit of an episiotomy, you let me know, because then we can have a baby, you know, so it, it's going to snowball into helping their mind process too. Now today, do I, do I know, or do I think that he does that with every birth without a doula? I wouldn't think so. I don't want to assume. I want to give him every opportunity to be able to do that. Well, didn't you say that in that first situation that afterwards he had asked you later, why? Why didn't she want an episiotomy? Well, he stopped me in the hallway and usually I try to, I try to stop the care provider, well, the nurse and the care provider after a birth before I leave and say whatever I say. And it's usually something um, encouraging or, or, hey, you know, what could I have, was there anything else that I could have done for you um, in, in the room or information or whatever? Because we have to realize that these, that some of these on-call care providers are coming in to situations and they have no idea what the information is, even if they don't get time to read the birth plan, because it might be somebody they're just grabbing because mom's going very quickly in her labor. Um, but he stopped me in the hallway and kind of made my heart drop a little bit. I'm not, go- I'm going to be honest. Um, but he was, you know, very gracious. And he said, you know, I'm very thankful that you're here. I'm very thankful that you were here today. Um, I would love for you to email me more information on, on, on episiotomies and why your moms are choosing not to have them. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, we just have to give them opportunity. It's difficult. I mean, we have to look at it from the other side too, that most of these, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it, traditional Southern doctors in, in a routine um, practice that they've always done, they don't have time to be updated on the latest evidence or they don't, you know, they don't get the latest evidence or they just go about their practice because they have so many moms that they're seeing throughout the day or, or, or whatever it is. Um, so we just have to give them opportunity 
and, you know, not always think that they're the enemy or out to be the bad guy. Um, they just might not have the information that they need to have. Yeah. So no one is saying that every doula should start doing this. And I want to emphasize that this is one situation that happened in a moment in, in time, but it's not part of the overall role or responsibility of doulas to, for example, hit the pause button when a doctor is about to do a procedure without consent. But I think your story, Tracy, is really unique in how you built relationships and were able to talk with the doctor as a valued member of the team. And you weren't speaking on behalf of the woman, but simply echoing her request that had already been submitted in writing. And you did it in a positive and loving way, which reminds me, what did your client say about this afterwards? She said that, you know, birth being so um, vulnerable and in the moment, she doesn't remember a whole lot um, except for she remembers me um, stopping whatever was getting ready to happen. You know, she said um, even before scissors were being picked up, she felt like she should have been consulted. Um, and, you know, she wasn't medicated. She was pretty aware of what was going on. And, you know, she just said, thank, thank heavens for her spouse and for her doula that um, could at any given moment remember the birth plan and remind everyone. And, you know, she went on to say that um, as moms, we need to be informed of every proposed intervention, risks, and benefits, and that's just a basic right. Um, and she, you know, she said it would have been an easy remedy for him to just discuss with her what he was thinking, and I wouldn't have even had to say anything. Um, you know, she, I was just reminding him what was on her birth plan. Um, and she, you know, she kind of felt like, he didn't read her birth plan or he wasn't kind of on our team. That's, that's really all she said. Um, I don't think she wanted to be real negative about it. Um, she was just very, very thankful and realized why everybody needs to have a doula. And she's like, in the midst of birth, we're very vulnerable. And, um, you know, she said anything can happen you know, even when somebody is just doing a routine thing that they think is necessary, a mom should, still has the right to know what's going on. I have a question. Do you see yourself as an empowered doula? Absolutely. You know, I feel very confident in, in being empowered, meaning I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just confident in the doula role. And we can support our moms 100% and then make change. You know, we just have to be patient and it might come with time, but absolutely. Well, thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kristen. I appreciate you. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.